The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley with security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser, and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance in Security on Federal News Radio. We're celebrating kind of the end of summer here, and a couple weeks back, I did a bit of an an ode to national security careers as a video update over at clearancejobs.com, just thinking about the 20th anniversary of clearance jobs and thinking about how much national security careers have changed, and was so delighted when a previous guest, security clearance attorney Eileen Zanakis-Kozlowski, reached out and said that she she really appreciated that video update and we commiserated a bit about what it's like to work at the Pentagon, America's largest office building. I spent a very short, unillustrious career working at the Pentagon. And the fact is, if you work in national security or have a security clearance, there is a good chance at some point, somehow, some way, you might have to reach out and touch the Pentagon office building, whether it's through working with people who work inside the five-sided puzzle palace, as it were, if your work actually actually brings you there, whether it's meetings or headquarters offices. So Eileen had that experience. And so I just kind of asked her for both of us to sit down and chat a little bit about what it is really like to work inside the Pentagon. So thank you so much, Eileen, for joining us for an unconventional conversation about working in national security and what it's like to work in the Pentagon. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me back, Lindy. It has a bit of a reputation working in the Pentagon, I have to say. You either love it or you hate it. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I found out we both kind of loved it or at least had an appreciation for the Pentagon as an office building. What was one of maybe the one of more memorable aspects you remember about your work taking you into the Pentagon? Oh, I just thought it was such a surreal privilege. I mean, I really did. I thought it was so cool. And I never really got over how much history that building held and and what potential history was in the making right while I was just waiting in line to get my coffee. I just I just thought it was so cool. Yeah, well, same. I think when I worked there, I was in the Office of Chief of Public Affairs and I was actually in the part of the building that had gotten hit on 9-11. Not only did I work with coworkers who had actually been there and had that experience, but you just kind of, when you were walking through the hallways, you really felt the experience of what had happened in that building. I think it's a, a fun office building. If you have not gotten lost at the Pentagon, you probably aren't trying. So I want to maybe, maybe I should ask you about that. Have you ever gotten lost at the Pentagon? Oh, the same. I mean, listen, it got to a point where I would often try to have a colleague go with me if there were someplace new I needed to go just to make sure that I didn't end up lost for hours. Maybe it's easy for some people to navigate, but it was not for me. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing they say about the Pentagon is that, you know, their takeaway is that it's supposed to take no more than seven minutes to get anywhere in the building because of the way it's laid out. You can tell they want you to be there because they have, you have no reason 
to leave, basically. So talk a little bit about the convenience of working at the Pentagon. What were some of the establishments that surprised you walking into the building and, and seeing what they had there? You know, that really was the most surprising aspect of it. I knew I would be in awe just at the idea of being there. I did not know that I would be able to get my highlights touched up during lunch or that there would be a post office. I mean, the the way that I can best describe it is it's kind of like a casino in that everything that you need is in there. And it's sort of a little bit dimly lit. So you don't really know what time it is outside or, you know, it really just is this time warp, sort of. I love the casino reference, which I have not heard before. I'm sure somebody else has made that comparison, Eileen, but you are the first to describe it to me. It is like that because you do go in and you kind of, you experience this warping of time and space and reality a little bit. I suppose that's why some people hate it because you can go in and you lose a lot of time working in the Pentagon. There are long hours and long days and there's just, there is so much contained in the building. A lot of it, you know, grounded in the old school. There was a jewelry store, chocolate shop, a florist. It was very much the quintessential like, hey, honey, I had to work late. Enjoy some flowers, which I always found ironic. But you mentioned you could get your highlights touched up. So there really is something for everyone. Yeah, I sort of made a game of coming up with what was the necessity that mothered this invention whenever I would pass a new store You know, the leather goods store made a little bit of sense to me. I thought, you know, if you were called away on some sort of super urgent, important trip and you needed to grab a bag and just get on a plane, that made sense to me. But the jewelry store always made me laugh because, you know, that was somebody who forgot an anniversary and left work late. And that's got to be how that ended up there. Yeah, everything has a story there with some person notorious person in history. Well, and I love too, like the courtyard area. So that is the one area you can actually see the light of day. The courtyard always very popular. And I love the old anecdote, you know, about the hot dog stand in the middle of the courtyard. The Pentagon tour guides always tell the story of how, you know, the Russians had their eyes on that spot because they thought with all the people coming and going, there must be important things happening in there. But of course, it's just a cafeteria. So that's why people are coming and going is It used to be much easier to get inside the building. Now, as you know from experience, it's quite difficult. And I think we all have, I wrote even an article for Clearance Jobs about how the, you know, the road to hell was paved in the Pentagon Visitor Center waiting room because anybody who has lost their badge or been without a badge or had to get friends through the building and had to go through that visitor center, no, it can be a painful process. I think you had an anecdote too about a friend with the visitor center. And I love these personal stories of misery and trauma. So did you have a personal experience about the, Pentagon Visitors Center or getting in as a visitor? I do. So actually, this was one of my girlfriends from law school who is the last person you would envision at the Pentagon. She's super petite. I mean, I don't even think she's five feet tall. She is a vegan ballerina and looks like a vegan ballerina. She is just, you know, the most unassuming person that you would think of. And she worked in one of the offices of general counsel at the Pentagon. And she befriended some really super intense military officer who would exercise with her in the Pentagon gym at 
something like 4.30 in the morning. So she was taking, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles at four o'clock in the morning to get through DC to her office building early. She carried pepper spray with her. You know, certainly not the first time that she had had it on her person. She just randomly got stopped going into work one day. And I don't think that the PIFPA police officer who stopped her realized that she would turn into such a thorn in their side, but she's an attorney. So she asks them, you know, can you please show me where in the regulations it says that I can't have this on my person, you know, and she was polite about it, but she was not about to get arrested for having something in her purse that that she had had in there for the past, you know, however many months coming and going. But it was really kind of wild. And actually one of my colleagues ended up helping her out of what turned into kind of a sticky situation. Oh, and you remind me of the Pentagon gym too, which I almost forgot about. I loved the Pentagon gym. I I loved I loved it. I mean, it's a great gym, which it should. I mean, it should have a great gym if you're at the Pentagon, but there. And yeah, getting through, I imagine security or the visitor center and knowing what the protocols are. I mean, that's even just what I recommend people, to people visiting now is make sure you look up what the rules and regulations are. I mean, I'm sure your friend did and it can still change, but knowing what they outline is a big help because I know several people who have had to leave items at the door at the Pentagon because they've not been able to get through for for whatever reason. And it's just like things are always changing. Like I know I used to love the Pentagon tours. It used to be my favorite tour to recommend to folks. I know during COVID they were suspended. I don't know if they're back, but if they do come back and you can tour the Pentagon, a great chance to to experience that history. So we kind of talked a little bit about COVID going back from your perspective. I know you're still working around in and around DOD. Do you think it's kind of back to business as usual at the Pentagon? Do you think that COVID could even impact the hybrid or remote workness of that building or, you know, from from colleagues and friends, or is it just kind of back to business as usual for folks working inside the building? People are back to business. I think there's a cultural component to this that really values collaboration and in-person meetings. And just to be frank, I mean, butts in seats. And I think the whole work from home thing is really nice. It's way better than sort of not being able to work during a pandemic situation. But yeah, there's all, there is an expectation that sort of three things will be happening at once. And depending on what your work is, that can't always happen. The Pentagon, you know, highlights one building where I think a lot of people do get the chance to work there and being a part of it and knowing it is, it's probably going to be a somewhat limited time in your career. I know those people who have spent career civil servants in particular who have spent a long haul in the Pentagon, but especially for service members, for a lot of contractors, for a lot of individuals, the Pentagon is the time of service, right? So you're going to be there for a very specific certain set amount of time. We look at the Pentagon as kind of a period of service. Uh, You know, a lot of folks will just kind of come in and work there for a set period of time. The hours can be grueling. I think if you're working quote unquote typical Pentagon hours, especially as a service member, I don't think your family life situation can probably withstand that for for much longer. It is almost close to a deployment scenario. For me as a civilian, it was way better because I was governed by those civilian working hours. And so that's probably contributed to a part of my pleasantness. So I always have to caveat that. Like I had a fantastic time. 
I loved it. I loved the history. I loved the culture of the building, I think was a positive one. You, you, you knew the mission that you were serving because it was literally directly in front of you by the building. And that makes a case for folks, you know, returning to the office, at least in some capacity, right? Because there is something that you can start to feel a little bit more disconnected from the mission. I'm not saying everybody needs to be working at the Pentagon or that everybody needs to go into work every day or, but I think if you have an opportunity to serve there, it's definitely a unique experience. But yeah, if you know somebody who's maybe getting ready to spend a stint at the Pentagon, Eileen, do you have any tips or advice that you would give to those folks? Mm, follow the rules is probably the first thing. You know, they're there for a reason and they take their rules very seriously. This is, you know, not your run of the mill office building. And I think if you can kind of get yourself into the habits that are necessary to get things running smoothly, there's just no greater privilege than getting to work in that environment and just kind of, you know, maybe standing behind somebody at the gym or in the line for coffee who's quite literally saving the free world. No, I love that. And that's so true. And your advice is so good, too, is just getting to know the rules of the building and the laws of the land, as it were. And that definitely applies. I think, you know, Pentagon is a unique environment of not getting to know your employer, you know, per se, but also just getting to know the building actually matters as a work, you know, so as as you're embarking on a career in the Pentagon, it will behoove you to learn the layout of the building, the organizational structures, the office structures, who does what, because there is a lot of interconnection between the different offices. The on-ramp is pretty short in terms of your stint to the Pentagon. And what I found is there was a lot of expectation that you were doing research outside of the office so that you showed up at the office knowing who you were talking to, what it was about, and all of that. Now that said, humility will also get you far. So if you don't know what you're doing, don't be discouraged. I think that there was always some appreciation for that. You could tell kind of the the newbies around who didn't were lost in the hallway, who didn't know they were going, who didn't staff their item appropriately. Um, there was graciousness towards that, but there was also an expectation that this is a unique working environment that functions in a unique way. And the more you get to know it, the better. I think that's so well put. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and kind of this, I mean, a, a tribute to the Pentagon, America's, shall I say, best office building, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if you would go so far as to agree with that, but it's definitely a unique and a very special office building. And if you have a chance to serve and work in the Pentagon, I encourage you to do that. It will be, again, a once in a lifetime experience and you don't have to live there forever. You don't have to move in. They don't have apartments yet, do they? I mean, I know that trend is happening. Do they? I think some people have slept in cots in their offices, but I hope there's not housing in the Pentagon yet. Please don't ever do that. But um, it is a great office building. I agree. It gets my vote for the coolest. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Check out more cleared jobs and careers and maybe you can find your Pentagon job over at clearancejobs.com. Attorney advertisement, not a guarantee or warranty of results. I'm attorney Sean Bigley. The denial or revocation of your security clearance is a devastating blow but effective legal representation can make a difference. Contact my team at Bigley Ranish LLP for a free case evaluation. Find us online at biglylaw.com. Federal security clearances are all we do. Welcome back to Security Clearance Insecurity. I am attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. 
We're talking this segment about side hustles and security clearances. And Lindy, I know this is a topic that's come up a number of times on clearance jobs. Do you feel like there's a lot of clearance holders out there who are looking for side hustles? Or do you think this is kind of a niche question? Oh, no. I mean, it's a super common question. I think the rise of remote work has in some ways made this even more prevalent. I think folks kind of realize that with that remote work option that maybe they have extra hours on the evenings or weekends and they're just staying connected and plugged in. And then just the interaction between you know personal and professional has gotten certainly a little bit more gray. And so we just tend to get more questions about, hey, maybe I have this hobby or interest. I really perfected my sourdough, you know, over COVID and now I'm starting a bread business. Can I make money? I mean, no, that's the question I wish I got. The question we get all the time is about their OnlyFans account. And if they can have that while they have a security lens, we tend to get the more controversial. And I think the way it comes up for us is there's certainly kind of options to have that side hustle. And I know you've written about that for clearance jobs. So folks should definitely check out your articles about that. But folks fail to realize that it is considered, you know, outside employment. And so in that vein, if you are generating money from a side hustle, then you have to report it to your security officer or company or agency. Yeah. You know, when I think about this topic, the thing that comes to mind first is, I don't know if you remember it, but a number of years ago, there was a case that was in the news where a couple of DEA agents in New York were being federally prosecuted for failing to report on their SF-86, their ownership and involvement in a, uh, as they were calling it, a quote unquote gentleman's club in the New York area that uh, allegedly was being used as a front for a, a number of different illegal activities and the feds uh, were tipped off about that somehow and, and went after these guys. And, and, you know, obviously, I think the majority of clearance holders aren't looking to uh, purchase an ownership stake in, a, in an adult establishment. Nonetheless, the same rules apply, whether you're baking <laughs> sourdough bread or owning a strip club. And that is, you know, you really have to do your homework and be careful here. And you have to be fully transparent in what you're doing with the government. So, I think, you know, before we kind of get into the weeds a little bit more on the specifics here, one thing that we probably ought to acknowledge is there is a real difference and a real line between a true side hustle, something that you're doing after hours on weekends and something where you're doing it with overlapping time periods. And, and I've, I've written about this as well, but, you know, we do get cases with surprising frequency, actually, where somebody has been caught basically manipulating their employer and telling their employer that they're working from nine to five for that employer. And they're actually telling a second employer that they're working the same hours for them. And usually when this comes up, the person is working remotely. They're sort of juggling, you know, both full-time jobs at the same time. And neither employer has any clue that that's happening until they do. And then it becomes a big problem. Um, and we get, you know, allegations of time card fraud that are being thrown around and, uh, government, you know, contract fraud and all sorts of really unsavory things that uh, people, you know, really don't want to have to deal with. So that is not something that I would recommend anybody think about doing. But this is a little bit different. And, you know, whether we're talking about driving for Uber or opening a baking business or whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, 
If it's after hours and it's outside of work time, that's a good start, but it's not the end of the inquiry. And what I think a lot of people fail to think about is there is still the potential for a conflict of interest, whether perceived or actual. And there are some criminal, actually, uh, criminal laws that apply to this. You cannot, for example, be a federal employee and represent anybody before the federal government at the same time. And I don't just mean represent in the context of like being a lawyer or, you know, an agent or something like that. That has sometimes been construed to mean you can't work as a federal employee and simultaneously be moonlighting as a contractor for the federal government. So there's a lot of potential landmines here and you really need to be careful and probably talk to your ethics counsel at work, your ethics office before you do anything. But Assuming you've kind of cleared that initial hurdle of it's not time card fraud, it's not criminal, it's not a conflict of interest, that's all really good. And, you know, if you do talk to ethics folks, it's, I always recommend getting their advice in writing and, and keeping that in a safe place. But then, you know, there are other questions that arise. And, and Lindy, you kind of pointed out this broader issue here of, you know, the potential for conflicts and things like that. When folks are talking about side hustles, other than, you know, the, this hypothetical example that you mentioned of somebody baking, have you gotten a sense that there's a kind of a preferred or, or a, a common side hustle that people are doing or does it kind of run the gamut? I mean, I think, you know, people have a wide range of things. I mean, the questions that come to clearance jobs, as I can imagine, Sean, the questions that come to your desk are, are not really suitable for work questions sometimes about those forms of side hustles. Because I think people kind of know if you have, you know, a, if you're running a kind of an ancillary, like maybe you fix computers on the side, you know, and again, you're not, you're fixing them for your neighbors or friends, or you have kind of this side business. I think folks maybe fail to realize somehow, like, you know, if you're generating money or inc an income stream from that, you know, it's probably something that you need to report or just make your employer aware of. But also, what you know, what we get are some of the things that folks probably have not shared with their employer. And again, just the rise of being a content creator on the internet and having kind of this influencer market, you know, whether that's inappropriate for work or appropriate for work, I think sometimes people kind of have these online businesses in, in some sense where they are anonymous or not known. And that's where I see it being an issue because if you're kind of, if you're hiding something from anybody, even if you're hiding your true identity from your online community, the government really is, is concerned about blackmail and, you know, how foreign adversaries could use finding information about you and your personal life against you. So if you have any form of kind of side hustle that you have kept quiet or hidden, you know, that you would not want your employer to, to know about, hence why you're asking clearance jobs or Sean Bigley about it, that's when it becomes an issue for the government. And it and it makes sense that it would. So for me, that's kind of the category of, of the side hustles that we see are, again, sometimes someone is running some kind of a private or illicit or somewhat controversial side hustle. And then that is certainly... If it's not something that your family, friends know about, then could certainly be a clearance issue. I was kind of hoping that that's where you were going to go because that's exactly what I was getting at. We, we try to keep it PG here, obviously, but we get, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, and, and as I know you've seen on clearance jobs, some, some fairly wild stuff that comes across our desks. There is this kind of pervasive issue, I guess, of people who, for whatever reason, I guess just the money, I, I don't know, maybe other interests. <laughs> I can only speculate, but are setting up these 
online OnlyFans accounts and other side hustles that would make their grandmother blush, uh, to say the least. And that is, uh, as you point out, um, a huge potential blackmail issue if the government finds out about it. And you know, the first question they're going to ask is, who knows? And unless everybody in your life who's important to you knows about this, that is something that is going to be very difficult to overcome from a security perspective. And really the only way to overcome it is to tell everybody in your life and get affidavits from all of those people saying, yes, they've told us that this is what they're doing. Um, and you know, if it's not illegal, if it's not a conflict of interest for the agency, if it's not creating some perception of impropriety or something like that, it, it may be that you know, it passes muster ultimately, even if it, you know, raises questions about your judgment, I wouldn't bank on it. And so I, I think, you know, my, my recommendation, my advice to anybody who is thinking about off the beaten path, a side hustle, I guess, is to just think about that possible perception of it being a blackmail issue. And if there's any question there, then it's probably not something that you want to pursue. On the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, we've got you know very benign side hustles like somebody who wants to drive for Uber. That's fine. There are still potential issues with it. And regardless of what it is that you're doing, I always remind folks that you do have an obligation to report this income on your taxes. And I know that you know there's a temptation oftentimes to say, well, geez, you know, I'm selling stuff at the swap meet, I'm getting cash, nobody's gonna know. Invariably, that doesn't end well. And so, you know, keeping good records doing everything on the up and up, paying your taxes, that is something that is really important. Even if it's a small amount of money, if it looks like you're intentionally dodging your obligations, that can become a real security clearance issue. And then lastly, you know, even if all of these other conditions are met, the government still expects to know about it. Anytime you're filling out an SF-86 and you're doing a side hustle, you actually are expected to report that as self-employment. Whatever it is, you got to list it on there. And, you know, even if it's not the strip club in New York, it's still something that, you know, is required to be listed. And assuming it's all above board, it's not likely to be a problem. But that is something that often gets overlooked where, for whatever reason, people just don't think about it. They don't think, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, that counts as self-employment and then it doesn't get listed. Yeah, no, And I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the other, even a legitimate side hustle that we see come up, that is the other primary way it comes up. And I see it in some of the Doha cases that maybe somebody had a small business that wasn't licensed properly or they weren't paying taxes. And that is where like the government is concerned about your ability to follow rules and especially its rules. So if your side hustle involves, you know, again, not getting the proper licenses or credentialing or, you know, following through with what's required in your, you know, maybe state or even local jurisdiction for the type of business that you have. So if you are launching a side hustle, it's worth doing some solid research into it ahead of time to make sure that you have all of those legal wickets checked. Because otherwise down the road, even if it's a side hustle from your past, it could come back to haunt you later if you were doing anything illegal in the course of that side business. Yeah, absolutely. And I will sort of just summarize my broad recommendations to, to folks who are thinking about this with very simple, very straightforward recommendation. And that is talk to somebody who knows what they're doing before you go down this road. Talk to a lawyer, talk to an accountant, talk to both. <laughs> because I cannot tell you how many times I have seen people well-intentioned, 
thinking they were do, doing everything by the book and they get themselves into trouble if they don't have background as an entrepreneur, they don't realize how many regulations and you know things that they have to comply with, as you point out, business licensing, there's all sorts of you know additional tax complications that come into play. If you have employees, there's headaches there. I can attest firsthand as a business owner. I mean, there are a lot of things that you just don't think about until you're actually in it. And, and there's a real steep learning curve. So, you know, what you don't know can potentially be a problem. And at the end of the day, unless that side hustle is doing well enough that, you know, it eclipses whatever income you're earning from your clear job, you got to keep your eyes on the prize and remember the clearance is important. So go seek out that professional advice. It is worth its weight in gold. Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance Insecurity with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley of security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.